Hi there, listener, and welcome to the Metacast Crypto Corner. This is the very first episode in this new series where um, I can, you know, go nuts and, and talk about things that, that I'm passionate about. And that's basically um, the intersection of blockchain and games. So that's what we are doing today. I'm your host, Nico, today, and I'm joined by Michael Wagner, the CEO of Star Atlas. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thank you, Nico. Yeah, let's dive straight in. Um, so right now you are yeah, building one of the most ambitious blockchain games projects out there. Um, whenever you know the big metaverse games come up, so Atlas is, is usually one of them. Um, I'm I'm very curious to to know more about you, what your story is, and uh, and how you got in you know the, your current position. Sure. Yeah, it it is an ambitious project. It's super exciting for us to be building. Uh, we have a very long term uh, perspective and approach to this project, um, and, which is kind of derived from my my background and experience in the space. But I, I guess before we get into that, I would just talk about formal background and career, which is uh, in traditional finance and capital markets. I'm a CFA charter holder, so I previously worked in the fields of portfolio management and investment and securities analysis. Uh, this was specifically with uh, registered investment advisors um, uh, focused on both institutional and high net worth individual uh, private wealth management. Uh, I got introduced to Bitcoin in 2013. Um, it was like right at the peak of the bull cycle in that year. And um, it kind of came about on a bike ride with a friend of mine who actually went on to co-found my previous company to this. Um, and, and he was talking to me about you know altcoin markets, trading on these altcoin markets, and also mining with GPUs. Uh, maybe as a as a quick aside on the mining with GPUs and and more relevant for Star Atlas itself, I uh, grew up in a in a video gaming group in high school and it was called the Lanarchist. So this was in the 90s, back when you know broadband internet wasn't really widely available, and so our weekends were mostly spent bringing our computers to someone's house, uh, playing video games all weekend, drinking Mountain Dew, <laughs> and just eating pizza. And uh, there were some really great times, but you know through that. Um, kind of growing up experience, built all my own computers, and so was familiar with tinkering around, tinkering around with electronics. And and um, so when he when he talked to me about like creating these custom GPU rigs, just building them out in milk crates, I was pretty captivated by it. And and given the financial background, I was also interested in the you know the potential of this as an alternative asset class, uh, emerging technological asset class. Um, in fact, I I pushed hard for years to get the uh, wealth managers that I was working with to include Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies into client portfolios. But obviously back in that time, you know, it was still very nascent and, uh, and, uh, you know, perceived to be kind of black market. So was never successful there. Uh, I'm sure they regret that decision now in hindsight because it would have uh, performed exceedingly well in our client mm -hmm. portfolios. But nevertheless, um, you know, that was my that was my entry point. Bad timing, as I said, it wasn't a, a lucrative business for me to uh, get into the crypto mining. But uh, what it did accomplish was captivating my interest in the potential of the technology. And so, um, it, it, in some ways, it was bad. In some ways, it was good timing because the the bear markets tend to be great times to dedicate yourself to learning, right? And kind of it's mm -hmm. it's slower. There's less hype. Um, there's fewer opportunities. And so that's what I did. I took uh, I took two years. I, I focused uh, a, a lot of time on learning as much as I could about uh, about the underlying tech and the potential uh, opportunities that existed as a result of that. Um, just made the determination in 2015 to go full time crypto and give up the formal career. Uh, just launched a, a mini fund, if you can even call it that. It was just a, a small group of friends with pooled capital, and we were you know trading and speculating on on some altcoins. Um, that actually led into uh, 2016, where I conceptualized my first business. Uh, it's called Tokes, and it, that was at the intersection of crypto and cannabis. Um, we saw the opportunity in providing these decentralized financial services to the legal cannabis industry, um, given given the challenges and obstacles that they face uh, um, interacting with legacy financial services like banks and credit cards. To launch that company, um, it's actually still up and running. It's uh, still operational, and um, you know through that through the development of that project, I was actually introduced to uh, two of the people who went on to co-found Star Atlas with me. Uh, so that's Danny Floyd, our chief product officer, and Jacob Floyd, who's our chief technology officer. Um, I'll mention here, uh, rounding out the co-founding team is also Pablo Quiroga, uh, who's our chief revenue officer, um, and, and uh, so. You know, over the course of 
2019, really throughout the, the course of my experience in crypto, there's there's always so much innovation, right? And like opportunities that pop up and it, it's difficult to keep pace, especially when you're building a business, but you want to be in the know. It's important, especially as an operator. And so uh, we identified the trends that were taking place across, um, you know, DeFi was popularized in 2019 and 2020. Um, probably providing one of the best use cases for blockchain that we've seen to date. Um, and then also seeing this greater emergence of collectible NFTs and, and also uh, blockchain-based gaming uh, in 2020. And <clears throat> all of us uh, on, the, on the Star Atlas, <clears throat> excuse me, all of us on the Star Atlas uh, leadership team are also longtime gamers as well, as I mentioned, right? And so... Um, we sat down one weekend and just started conceptualizing what we felt could be um, a premier product in blockchain gaming. So, you know, at that time, a lot of the uh, the products on the market were were relative uh, relatively rudimentary gameplay mechanics, um, turn-based games, card-style games, uh, lower quality graphics, and we felt that there was an opportunity to develop out a you know the highest quality standard gaming concept. So, AAA quality gaming. Um, we're just big fans of sci-fi and space exploration as well. And so um, thus, Star Atlas was born, and uh, that was in mid-2020. We, we took the remainder of those six months of 2020 to um, go through some pre-production planning and um, kind of uh, determine what, what the product would look like and, and um, raised our seed round at the end of the year and made our formal debut in, in uh, January of 2021. And it's been a, really a wild ride um, ever since. Could you share more about the vision behind Star Atlas? You said you conceptualized the game. Um, I, I know a lot of people, myself included, um, are just very curious to like what what you're actually building and uh, what games you draw inspiration from. Sure, and and I would give um, as a preface, I would give Danny uh, a tremendous amount of credit on the um, gameplay pillar design and and general gameplay mechanics. Uh, he has. Uh, deep experience and background in AAA game development himself. Mm -hmm. And so he's got a major emphasis on creating what the vision of the, the game product itself is. Um, what we're building really consists of at least two categories. And so that's, you know, this AAA quality game that's enjoyable with blockchain financial services integrated in to deliver the play to earn model, um, but also the metaverse concept. And I'm sure we'll you know get into a bit more about what that means and what the, the future of the metaverse looks like. But um, we kind of think of uh, the game itself as the entry point or the spearhead into um, what the Star Atlas metaverse will be at some point in the future. So that's not to diminish uh, the effort and energy and, and kind of concept that exists there, but uh, you know, ultimately the product that we're building, we believe, will ha can potentially have a perpetual life cycle, uh, which is uh, in stark, stark contrast to the way that most mainstream games are built um, to date. So. Um, Star Atlas itself, though, is a, a space-themed, massively multiplayer online game. Uh, it's centered around space exploration, territory control, and political domination. And so, you know, the players will be able to purchase and own ships and land and buildings and structures and crew members, um, all as NFTs, and be able to navigate the stars and take over planets and attack other players and complete missions and otherwise just kind of explore the universe in a way that we can't physically do in, in reality. Right? We just don't have the technology, but in the digital world, we do. And um, yeah, so uh, you know, outside of the NFT integration, uh, naturally we have uh, crypto native assets, um, which include Atlas and Polis, so medium of exchange, uh, which is Atlas. All of the you know all of the transactions, both the earnings as well as the operating costs across the metaverse, are all denominated in Atlas. Mm -hmm. And then our unique governance structure, which is um, uh, based on the Star Atlas doll. Uh, DAO and uh, denominated in Polis. And so that governance structure is what enables, enables us to decentralize the product over time. Through the emission and inflation of Polis, um, players are able to take a governance stake in, uh, in, in the DAO and ultimately be able to determine the future outcome of what the, what the metaverse actually becomes. And so when you're talking about DAO, is, is there one DAO? Will you have sub-DAOs? Uh, how exactly will that work? We have a we have a pretty novel uh, hierarchical system across Star Atlas uh, of DAOs. There's kind of the external DAO, if you will, a master DAO um, that that 
governors can stake to. That enables them to earn emissions, uh, but it also enables them to um, submit proposals and vote on proposals related to things like um, uh, game design and development, asset release schedules. They can impact the economic structure and taxation rates across the universe. Um, and uh, otherwise kind of earn a part of the economy itself. Uh, we have taken this approach of separating or segregating um, the revenue streams that flow into us as a game development and design studio uh, at Star Atlas, and then also all of the economic value that is created and transacted across the metaverse itself. And so all of those uh, uh, operating costs that I was referring to, uh, which are denominated in Atlas, are actually recaptured and, um, and transferred into the DAO. And then the DAO itself has the ability to determine uh, what to do with those financial resources. Um, in the game though, and tied closely to our political strategy element, is uh, a series of three, uh, three DAOs. There's um, separate factions across the universe, uh, the MUD, the ONI, and the Ooster, which represents essentially humans, aliens, and a sentient android um, species. Um, and each of those factions, which are <clears throat> technically at war with one another, uh, are controlled by faction-level DAOs. That moves down into uh, regional DAOs. So this would be anything from, say, a local planet to maybe a solar system or a local cluster. And uh, finally, we, we kind of conclude with the what we actually call Decentralized Autonomous Corporations, or DAX, and that is the guild system through the game. And so in each of those categories, um, various uh, real people will be elected to positions of power and will be able to determine uh, economic events, um, de you know, depending on which level it is. Now, for the guilds themselves, we're creating a DAO framework so that allows them to not only register their guild, select their name, select their banner, uh, but also select uh, from a series of um, uh, DAO components or governance components um, and, and also manage their guild treasuries. So what we're building is very much driven towards uh, kind of collectiveness and cohesion and um, you know, partnering um, to execute effectively and efficiently across the metaverse. That's fascinating. I think, yeah, I truly believe personally that, you know, the whole tokenized governance governance system will allow everyone to capture part of the value that they bring to, to any kind of game or group or entity. Um, and so if I understand you correctly, so you have this Polis token, which is your governance token, and you'll be able to stake that in the, the master DAO, which is kind of a governance DAO DAO around Star Atlas itself, and is that token also involved in the other sub DAOs? So within each faction, etc. It it is involved in um, faction level and regional level DAOs. Um, part of this other uh, DAC and DAO framework that we're building for the guild registration will also enable um, those those guilds to create and mint their own token, uh, which then they can use to perhaps capitalize. The DAO, you know, their their DAC itself, utilize that capital to purchase assets in Star Atlas and share in the upside of their earnings um, through actual gameplay. So, um, uh, yeah, I think that that's very important. We want to empower these guilds to be able to do a lot of things and have a lot of control over the you know the treasury itself and their own financial resources. That's super fascinating. Um, this all sounds, you know, almost good, too good to be true. So I guess it's going to take a while before all of this is 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 live, and and your 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 full vision, or at least the start um, of it, will be um, will be executed upon. Could you tell us more about the roadmap? Like, how do you see that? How you see yourself over the next uh, few years? Of course, and and you and I chatted a little on this just before we we hopped on here, but it is a very ambitious project, and it is uh, it is a long. Roadmap and the reality of what we're building is that we we don't really ever envision it as being completed, um, and that's partially because of the whole uh, decentralization over time element of the DAO itself. And so, while we maintain pretty strict control over what exists um, inside the metaverse in the short term, uh, so say three to five years, in the longer term, through emissions and through inflation, we lose our majority control over uh, governance, and uh, that would indicate that people from all over the world who are um, participating in governance get to uh, participate in decision-making about what the metaverse becomes. And that means that, you know, at some point, external uh, uh, 
um, creator content can be contributed. Uh, external business models, ideas uh, can all be facilitated. Uh, we really want to create this uh, sandbox of sorts for innovators and entrepreneurs to create their own business models. Um, and we see a, a major future in things like social experience inside the digital world as well. Right? So this is why I'm saying you know, we have these two elements. We have the video game and then we have the metaverse. Uh, and while the video game is inside the metaverse, not everybody will want to participate in all of those mechanics. It's very possible for somebody to enter into the metaverse and just create a merchant storefront, right? a digital shopping experience. This could even be mainstream brands. I, I like to use the example of, of Nike, uh, but say Nike sets up a shoe store inside the metaverse on one of our central space stations. Players via their avatars will be able to go and shop at that store purchase shoes, maybe even have them delivered to their physical residence, and then as a bonus, get get the, that same pair of shoes uh, delivered to them as an NFT, which they can then equip on their avatar and run around in the universe, right? So um, with all that said, you know, we, we do think that it's typically in, in AAA game development, it's probably a, a five to seven year development life cycle to get through a, a fully polished uh, video game concept product. Um, we obviously have the additional complexity of the blockchain integration across all of this. And in fact, as much of the game logic as we can build on chain, we are doing. Um, but the way that we are kind of countering that is we're building these two concurrent products. Um, we're focused on a an in-browser web application that we call it, you know, it's a mini game concept. Um, and we're also building out in Unreal Engine 5 uh, at the same time. And we have separate production teams on each of those. And so in the short term, and actually coming up relatively soon, maybe I'll just throw a little plug in here. We did just release uh, a, a roadmap yesterday. Uh, the community was screaming for it. Um, we want to make sure that people are as informed as possible uh, for decision making. And so we released a, kind of an, it's a, it's a formal but abridged uh, roadmap. So people will have some transparency into what that looks like. But um, the upcoming features include uh, something that we call SCORE. This is ship commissions on remote expeditions. Um, it it's, it's, uh, allows players to take their ships, commit them to the faction, manage resources, a set of four different resources, and then earn Atlas as a result of that. We expect that to come out in November. Um, the next iteration would be land development. Uh, so players would be able to not only own land, <clears throat> um, but also place uh, buildings and structures on that land that include both mining and farming. And then we have crafting gameplay loops associated with that. So people that are engaged in mining, extract minerals uh, and ore that can be uh, refined and ultimately become input materials in the supply chain for the creation of new NFTs. Uh, so players that have the blueprint for a specific ship, for example, if they obtain all of the materials and the blueprint, they're able to uh, print a new NFT, which then they can either utilize themselves or they can turn around and sell it on our decentralized marketplace. Um, also alongside land development, we, uh, we include uh, orbital space stations, which are kind of complementary, you know, orbiting space stations that, that uh, provide facilities for your land operations. So you, you know you you have your mining equipment. You take that to the orbital space station where you have your refinery, and these will this these orbital space stations will also have things like fueling stations for other ships, um, uh, hangar bays, uh, commerce decks, trading decks, things like this. And so you're kind of like compound building on uh, on the space stations over time. And so all of these features uh, are. You know they're they're in development. We anticipate a lot of these rolling out um, through the course of the end of this year and going into next year. And then I, I guess the most relevant Unreal Engine fully immersive 3D experience that will be released is a showroom module. Um, and and this is where players will be able to enter into the Unreal Engine via a game client um, and start to experience what the world is going to look like. And I would note here that building an Unreal Engine. Uh, really gives us the capability of delivering the cinematic quality, hyper-realistic gameplay experience. So we want players to feel as immersed as, immersed as possible in the digital world and <laughs> to the extent where it's almost indiscernible from their real life. The true uh, promise of the metaverse. Correct. Yeah. Um, 
maybe maybe it's it's good moment to step back a little and talk about the NFTs that you're already issued. Uh, I'm curious to to understand how you thought about those. Um, so you've already sold some NFTs. Could you elaborate on that a bit? Sure. And I, I would actually, um, we've sold two categories of NFTs. We have sold collectibles and then we have sold some game assets as well. Um, the One of the first products that we released to the market, um, a, a quick tangent here, we're, we are building on Solana. And so we were quite early in selecting Solana as our layer one. We were in discussions with them, you know, in August and September of last year and made the determination that that would be the appropriate rate, uh, um, uh, appropriate partner for us uh, to proceed with um, for the layer one. And um, but one of the kind of like downsides to that decision was, you know, that we were very early was that um, some of the feature sets and protocols that existed on other chains didn't necessarily exist yet on Solana. And so um, the first product that we built was an NFT marketplace that was fully integrated with Project Serum. And Serum is the decentralized exchange protocol that exists on top of, uh, on top of Solana. And so we delivered that marketplace uh, to the community in April of this year. And then we utilized that marketplace to release a campaign that we called Rebirth Genesis of a Metaverse. Uh, the Rebirth campaign was, uh, these were the collectibles. Uh, they were what we call uh, multimedia meta posters. And so all of the uh, creative content, the art itself was created by our team. And then we worked with some third parties like Shape Immersive out of Vancouver to create um, augmented reality overlays. And then also some mainstream musicians like Blondish and Bass Jackers and Dead Mouse to produce audio soundscapes to underlie the posters. And once again, trying to create the sense of immersion at a very early stage. So um, these are still available for viewing and also available for purchase on secondary markets on play.staratless.com. But um, if you just want to check them out, there anybody can view them. Would highly encourage doing, you know, people to do so, and um, that was a that was a 14 week campaign where we released one poster every week uh, for those 14 weeks, and not only was it a way for us to generate revenue, uh, but what we really wanted to accomplish um, and what we successfully did accomplish was growing our community uh, through the revealing and unveiling of the background and history and lore of the Star Atlas universe. So each week you got a little bit um, more information about how we got to where we are in the, the current age, which is the year 2620 um, in the Star Atlas metaverse. So that was the first campaign, quite successful for us. And then um, in September, we launched what we called uh, the Galactic Asset Offering, which was the initial sale of game assets. And that included a series of ships. Um, and then we've, you know, we've continued to sell uh, a, a, a new items every couple of days or every couple of weeks. Um, related to those game assets, at some point in the in the future, uh, possibly before the end of the year, we'll start selling some of the land assets as well. Okay, um, one of the discussions we had we had recently was about the sustainability of um, land within games. Um, is the land that you're selling is it uh, fully limited or not? In terms of materials that you can extract from uh, from that resource. No, like the the number of land plots is it is it limited or is it like uh, unlimited? I see. Yeah, so we, um, we we have a strong emphasis on the economics of the game. So yes, the uh, the land assets are um, kind of short term, finite in supply. I would say um, they mm -hmm. are they, so they are limited, with the exception being that we believe that the potential of the metaverse can attract billions of users from all over the world. <clears throat> and so what we try to balance out is the release of new assets over time uh, based on growth and user adoption, uh, such that we don't uh, experience essentially uh, um, uh, hyperinflation across the universe and so that it can continue to be inclusive, right? And, and so uh, we want to ensure that somebody that comes in a year from now doesn't have to spend, you know, $100,000 to try to participate in the game mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. while maintaining the value of those assets, though, as well, right? Mm -hmm. So finite in the short term and then growth based on, you know, like I said, things like user user growth, adoption in the game, destruction of assets, deflation of assets, um, and other economic uh, mechanics that we've, that we've designed. Mm -hmm. So in, in April, you launched a campaign... Um, 
to give a bit of background to the community about the lore, um, mainly to just like hype up the community about what you're building, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I wouldn't necessarily say hype up the community, but yeah. inform the world that we exist, and then start to um, and then start to deliver this collectible series. So we also included a, a kind of a number of benefits that maybe I should mention outside of the experience itself. Mm -hmm. um, each of these posters had various reward tiers. And so as players purchased, you know, a set of posters up to the, the reward tier of their choice, uh, they were also airdropped um, in-game assets as well. And so <clears throat> even with the very first poster, which uh, sold at MSRP at $64, uh, players got awarded... Uh, a ship, they got some land claims, um, they got an orbital space station, they got some custom skins, some emotes. Uh, we originally projected that the, the value of all of the, the in-game NFTs, the utility-driven NFTs that we would drop on those players for that first poster to be around $58. Um, after we got through the, the kind of the complete economic analysis and valuation of those assets, it was actually closer to, you know, $120. So people who bought a $64 poster got the poster, which is capturing a moment in time. It is a collectible. They got, um, they got the $120 worth of game assets. And then they also got access during our IEO and IDO phase. Uh, so when we launched the tokens through a token generation event, they got access to some of that, um, that allocation. Mm -hmm. And, um, whenever I talk to founders in, in the blockchain games industry, there's always one word that keeps coming up and that's community. What are kind of the KPIs that you look at when, with regards to, to your community? Well, I, you know, I mean, one of the most basic metric to observe is really just community growth, right? So what is the month over month change in, in users? Um, that I would say that's kind of the core category that we're analyzing right now. Um, we are also looking at growth in, in the guild system itself. Again, that's, a, um, that's an ecosystem that we want to cultivate. Uh, we do believe in that, that power of collectivism um, and, and efficiency that can be generated by operating collaboratively with other players. We do believe that the guilds are going to be you know, the, the most powerful um, kind of units across the game. And we've also designed the economics of the game to be... Uh, we've designed the economics of the game to, to kind of be aspirational wealth-driven, uh, which is to say that we do have assets that almost anyone from around the world can purchase, you know, for something like $20. But we also have ships and uh, and land and habitation uh, assets that we believe will sell for anywhere from 2 to $10 million, right? And it's not intended for every single person to individually own the $10 million asset, but guilds operating collectively can pool their capital and can purchase that asset and then use that as a home base uh, for them to traverse the universe. So, um uh, so looking at the growth in guilds is important to us and cultivating that. And then, you know, finally, it's it's looking at uh, customer satisfaction. So sending out surveys and getting feedback from uh, users from the community about uh, what their what their experience was like through throughout the launch of any of our uh, products and any of our campaigns. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, switching gears a little bit, you talked about quite early on having to make a decision on what blockchain you would choose to build your game on. Uh, you ended up choosing Solana. What were kind of the cr criteria you were thinking about? What was important to you? Um, and, and why did you end up choosing Solana? Yeah, the, the, we did analyze a, a number of chains, you know, so everything from like Cosmos to Avalanche to Flow, uh, BSC, Solana, uh, probably a number of others. And, you know, what first captivated my interest about Solana was, you know, clearly the technology needed to be scalable, uh, considering the potential uh, in user adoption across this product. So Solana does it quite well, and they do it as a layer one uh, without sharding. And um, so that creates uh, a high degree of efficiency across the network. And when we talk scalability, we're, you know, we're talking about things like transaction throughput. So in the case of Solana, greater than 50,000 transactions per second. This is important for a game with a logic that's built on chain because almost every action that a user takes is going to in some way be recorded on the blockchain. Um, so we need high transaction throughput. 
because there's a, a high amount of transactions, it needs to be low cost. And um, specifically on Solana, they deliver subsecond finality of state changes, which really just translates to latency on the game. How long does it take for the blockchain to update the fact that something happened? Um, and and so this is 400 milliseconds on Solana. We're getting kind of deep into the weeds on the on the technicalities of it. But um, you know, if you're a gamer, we all know lag. Right and lag is the the <laughs> it's the worst gameplay the worst. experience. Yeah. And so low latency was super important for us, right? And so that was kind of a starting point. Was the tech capable of delivering what we needed? The answer was yes. Uh, looking at the team, very high pedigree, uh, uh, that was encouraging. And then also the simple fact that we were early, we thought was was again promising because we had an opportunity to uh, collaborate mutually and, and be mutually beneficial to one another at a very early state. Um, Solana had about 20 or 25 projects that were building in the ecosystem at the time. We were the only game in the ecosystem. And um, so they were willing to contribute resources to us in terms of marketing support and communications um, and, and kind of delivering our concept to their community. So it helped us grow very rapidly. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, seeing the, the additional ecosystem growth of projects, um, especially projects that are centered around DeFi, which is another major element of what we're integrating into Star Atlas, um, really benefits us from a development standpoint because now you have all of these innovators from all over the world building products that seamlessly integrate into the Star Atlas metaverse, and we don't have to build it, right? And everybody can benefit. So um, all of those were factors. Uh, we also saw, you know, an endorsement from the, the teams at FTX through the development of Project Serum, or at least being on the consortium that develops Project Serum. And looking at that, uh, looking at that endorsement as, as another indicator that Solana was promising. That's really interesting. Um, you, you just talked about, you know, integrating DeFi into your game. C could you elaborate a bit on that? Sure. I mean, even the, um, well, so what we believe is it's in, in a way we're helping onboard users into the blockchain space. I mean, I, I think that blockchain games uh, are going to lead to one of the greatest mass migrations of users into crypto uh, because we can deliver an experience that's entertaining, enjoyable, it's fun, um, but people are also learning. Right, and getting exposed to this new technology that otherwise might be kind of monotonous. It's not that fun to read through a ton of blogs <laughs> and try to learn how DeFi works or even watch YouTube videos, but if you're playing a game and it's just an element of the gameplay mechanics, you're much more prone to like dedicating time to it and figuring out how you maximize the resources that you're earning. And so <clears throat> our players would have the potential to take some of their earnings that were you know, denominated and derived in Atlas um, and then deploy those to things like liquidity pools or AMMs or even lending pools. Um, this also empowers them to compound their wealth over time. Uh, thinking uh, maybe philosophically or ideologically about the, the current state of the economy, uh, the global economy, you know, the, the reality global of the global economy is that it's, it's kind of in, on unstable grounds and we're starting to see major rises in inflation and central bank banks are just printing, you know, infinite amounts of, of money essentially. And so um, we're very much aligned with the, the ethos of the blockchain space and the crypto space and, and, and also, you know, this access to um, DeFi protocols that allow people to earn outsized interest and returns on the capital that they're deploying to them. And so, you know, if you're, if you're taking money and you're putting it in your bank account, um, the reality is that you're losing purchasing power every year because you're getting paid nothing and inflation is anywhere from two to, you know, creeping up to 5% now, which means that the value of your dollar just actually goes down. You're not earning anything. Uh, however, in DeFi, you might be able to pick up 20 or 30% or even 100% depending on how far out on the risk spectrum you want to go with those assets. So those are kind of core protocols, but also uh, the DAO framework itself that we're introducing is a DeFi tool. Um, and then also um, uh, asset lending, protocols, which we're, um, you know, collaborating with Jet Protocol, building on Solana uh, to integrate into the game. And this would allow players to take any assets that they own, and when they're not in use, when they're not actually being played, contribute them to the pools, let someone else borrow that and pay a fee for it or pay rent on it. And we essentially create the sharing economy inside the metaverse for game assets, 
right? And now it, once again, mutually beneficial. Somebody who maybe didn't have the capital necessary to purchase a ship can now borrow from, borrow a ship, uh, pay a short-term lending rate, and uh, in theory earn uh, net income through the dedication of their time uh, to playing. And on the other side of that is, you know, the people that are lending the assets out um, get residual income off of it. And obviously you're not going to be playing the game 24 hours a day. So it's kind of like flipping the switch. You earn while while you're playing uh, and then you, you allow your asset to earn for you while you're not. So interesting. Um, so that's what I try to bring up in, in my discussions on the promise of crypto for games is that, you know, this fractionalization, the fact that you can collateralize, you can start lending it out. Um, it allows you to do so many cool things. Um, super, super cool to know that you, you guys are already thinking about that. Um, so you talked about uh, introducing people, players to you know the blockchain technology. Um, how do you think about making onboarding as easy as possible? Then, do you require players to have their own wallets, um, or will you try to uh, over time also take take that away? We we do not want to take that away. We do want to uh, encourage users to uh, have complete custody over their assets. I mean, that, that once again is kind of at the center of the ethos of crypto self-sovereign management of wealth. Um, obviously that comes with the challenges of educating all of these new users on security protocols and functionality of these tools, you know, how to use web three. Um, we, we took the approach of, uh, with our go-to-market strategy of really focusing on the crypto community first, you know, people who have a fundamental understanding of all of these principles, um, and then thinking going into the future that we, we will create education programs um, that might be part of a university that also exists inside the Star Atlas, by the way. <laughs> um, and, and what's really cool, again, thinking about long-term is it's very possible for someone else uh, around the world to actually design the curriculum and teach a course in a university inside the metaverse that other players might want to take, you know, and that the person that created the curriculum is the one that can monetize that uh, should they should they want to, or maybe they provide it as a free service. But we also, you know, fully appreciate that that we want to make sure that our users aren't getting compromised and aren't getting taken advantage of, uh, especially given the prevalence of scams that exist uh, across crypto and and they have, you know, since inception. So um, it's it's a delicate balance between protecting people and empowering people, and we're we're trying to walk the line, and we're uh, we're working on building out those educational programs now. That's great. Um, curious to know. So right now looking at all of the people who play any type of blockchain games, um, almost all of them are crypto natives. And I think Axie has done quite a good job introducing non-crypto natives to um, crypto or blockchain-based games. What do you think um, will be needed to onboard the next? So I think right now we're maybe at two, three million, maybe five million at the max. What will it take to bring the next 100 million people to blockchain gaming, in your opinion? Well, I, I, I do, you know, I do want to give Axie some credit just for being pioneers in the space. And they, I think they've been building since 2017 and they've, you know, they, they had extremely slow growth over the first three years, but, um, in many ways, the, the, um, pandemic was beneficial for them. And I think beneficial to this sector, by the way, because, you know, Axie's success demonstrated the potential of play to earn. Um, but part of that was also driven by Yield Guild Games and what they did, um, you know, through things like scholarship programs. So Yield Guild Games was a, a major um, guild uh, across Axie, and um, they were largely a community of uh, people from the Philippines. And as people were unemployed because of the pandemic, looking for work, uh, Axie was able, uh, <clears throat> Yield Guild was able to provide these new users with assets that they could then go utilize you know the, the these people became effectively the operators in the labor force for uh, yield guild assets um, with shared revenue potential what was really impressive and kind of amazing is that uh, those people in the philippines that were playing the game were earning three to four times their earnings potential by working a job in the local economy. So it was kind of fortuitous that they got it unemployed and got onboarded into Axie um, because they they realized like what the the earnings potential, uh, distributed earnings potential could be globally. And so um, this is one of the reasons why we do want to put some emphasis on guilds. One, it helps us with the dissemination 
of information, especially given that there's so many cultural and language differences around the world. Um, we, you know, it's difficult for a single company to communicate effectively with everyone. But if we're working with leadership across, you know, guilds, they can distribute that information and distill that information down to their users. And so through empowering them, they can help us with onboarding those next 100 million users that you're referring to. Interesting. Okay. Um, how do you think around operability? Uh, for me, this is one of the you know the big promises of the metaverse is that you know assets within Star Atlas um, could potentially be used to you know build another game and, and integrate those. Uh, how do you think about uh, around that in the design of Star Atlas? I I am probably uh, I might be the the outlier in at least on panels that I've been on and and you know. Um, discussions that I've had with people that are building in the space uh, surrounding interoperability. I'm less optimistic about it in the short term. I'm optimistic about it in the long term, though. Um, so as you can imagine, uh, well, uh, from our standpoint, there's two things. So we're building to very high graphical fidelity standards. And so mm -hmm. we want to ensure that any content that is released into Star Atlas meets our standards. There's not many people that have the expertise and talent um, around the world to to meet that expectation. And so we're pretty restrictive right now in terms of like what assets will we import. Um, and also from a business standpoint, it's it's uh, uh, would be fairly competitive with ourselves and doesn't really feed into the economic model to allow for the incorporation of external game assets. Now, what I think is promising is interoperability across protocols and then the utilization of those same lending pools that I was describing um, to either fractionalize and or um, uh, otherwise participate in lending pools on any protocol. So that to me is promising. Um, I think at some point uh, what we're going to develop out is a standard that uh, would define what what the graphical requirements, you know, development requirements would be uh, to to integrate within Star Atlas. But at the same time, as I mentioned, you know, through decentralization, it's possible that the DAO decides that you know they don't care if everything is cohesive and looks consistent across the universe. And and for us, it's just important that we get that that polished product that meets our vision out to the world and if the world decides at some point that that's less important to them and they don't care and they just want to incorporate assets from other games um, then that is the action that we would take we would make that implementation possible but we just want to deliver our vision before we we get to that point um, I, I don't necessarily uh, use the, don't necessarily want to use the term but it you know we don't want to create a Frankenstein product in the short term right so um, with that being said, I, there's what, the other component that's promising is that you know being built on blockchain, we can't nor would we prohibit some other developer from wanting to recognize the assets that we've already released um, and create some product around it, and they can create their own you know revenue models, economic model around the product itself. If if they're not deriving their income through the sale of NFTs directly, then um, then it actually adds a lot of value in the simple fact that we've already created all the assets. We've invested a, a, an enormous amount of money in our creative team to build build the assets, and then they can simply integrate those into their world, um, and they just find some novel approach to monetize that. So I think that's promising. Again, longer term, uh, we'll probably have a multiverse model where you know whether it's all encompassed in a single metaverse or you're essentially navigating from one environment to another and as you switch over your avatar switches over and your assets switch over i do believe that that is the future i just don't think it's the immediate future mm -hmm. now i'd like to dive in a bit more and and we can go a bit philosophical here into the you know the the promise of play to earn where people will have maybe not careers or maybe careers but at least you know earn their living in in you know a game or in in the metaverse um, how do you think around that and how do you think around making sure that whatever they do is still fun next to, you know, an income source? It's, it, it's, I'll address the, the second question first. And I, I would say, you know, from our standpoint, we have two core mandates across the company. It's if we're building a triple A quality game, it has to be fun. Uh, it, you know, people play video games to get a sense of escapism from reality, um, and entertainment value. 
Now, legacy model, that's really the only value proposition because there is there is no economic value that's retained by the player. Um, but for us, it, it absolutely has to be a fun gameplay experience, and that's just an enormous amount of work, and you need some really talented people um, to define that vision. Um, the other mandate that we have is to ensure that we create a sustainable economy in the long term that isn't purely extractive-based and isn't denominated or derived entirely from inflation or emissions of things like Atlas and Polis over time. Um, this is when the ability for an innovator to create some content or create some model inside Star Atlas really takes, um, takes hold um, because those people that are creating these models, sure, they have a way to monetize that themselves, uh, but they're also contributing value back into the metaverse, right? The more people that are innovating around it, uh, the more potential attraction or interest points there will be for everyone else around the world. So this is, you know, th again, thinking, you know, five, seven, ten years out. Um, and then with respect to the play-to-earn component, um, you know, it's it's the the income aspect should really be an enhancement. Right? I mean, I, I do think that it's very powerful to be able to provide these players with a true sense of ownership. And that's what we deliver through NFTs and true earnings potential through, uh, through the distribution of Atlas and Polis over time. And then also, you know, the, that potential to be uh, a, a, an entrepreneur in the space. Now, we've d defined out uh, across Star Atlas probably uh, between 35 and 40 different careers or professions that people can take. That can be anything from being the CEO of a decentralized autonomous corporation. That could be their sole function. Uh, obviously, um, you know, space exploration includes things like uh, fighters. So you can be out, uh, um, you know, navigating the stars and attacking other players or defending a fleet. Uh, you can be a data runner where you're discovering new parts of space and then you're you're capitalizing on that information that you have. Um, and and uh, you know, otherwise, people that are going to be uh, miners. They're going to be farmers, right? So th there, we have the core career paths that we've developed out. Um, but kind of going back to an earlier point, it's very possible for somebody to set up shop as a merchant <laughs> within the metaverse, and or you know set up a venue where they can host musical events. Maybe they're having a concert or a music festival or a DJ's playing um, inside the metaverse, and they're the ones that are securing the talent, bringing them in, uh, selling tickets to the event, and that's their business model. And what I think this is really cool because that that allows them to not be focused exclusively on earning Atlas from the team at Star Atlas, but rather earning uh, income from other players who want to experience that. So um, the opportunities are essentially limitless. Um, now there is one other major component, and this kind of ties back into the the uh, yield guild games model and and kind of lending of of assets. But uh, we have calls almost every week uh, from venture capital that's looking to purchase portfolios of, uh, of NFTs from us. They don't necessarily have the capacity or interest to go explore space or engage in gameplay. But what they're doing is taking those assets and then employing people from all around the world to act as operators. Um, you know, This is going to lead to one of the largest labor markets the world has ever seen inside the digital economy. Um, as well as a great redistribution and equalization of capital and wealth from around the world. Um, what's what's you know, I've heard some uh, um, criticisms of uh, from people about you know, getting uh, getting essentially slave labor to work these assets for people inside the metaverse. But the reality is, when you eliminate that friction of geographic borders, you also open the opportunities and you make it far more competitive, right? So if you're getting underpaid by an asset owner on, say, uh, a mining operation somewhere, there will be a job board <laughs> from someone else that's willing to pay a little bit more. This is going to get incredibly competitive, and as a result, we're going to see competitive wages for everybody who does want to be an operator and dedicate their time, contribute their time to operating inside space. That's really interesting. And are you not afraid, this is something else I've, I've been thinking about, that the real potential of you know, this redistribution of, of, of ownership will be stifled by these speculators um, you know, these these big, deep-pocketed investors that would buy up all the, and then especially the limited assets like the land, um, and, you know, then just sit on it and only rent it out to the highest bidder. Um, how do you reason around that? 
It's, I, I would say it's a concern, but it, it's, um, that is one of the elements that needs to be carefully rebalanced through the economic model of the game. And so this is why I'm, I, I was talking about, well, sure, we have finite supply in the short term, but if the user growth um, uh, would indicate that we need to expand the universe, then we can expand the universe. And also through the governance protocol, it would be very possible for those governors and stakeholders to make the determination that it's time to increase the size and release a new tranche of assets. Um, so, you know, over time that will include or introduce more opportunities um, for more people around the world. And it also goes back to our uh, kind of that disparity um, or, or rather inclusiveness of, of the various origination prices. So, you know, portfolio managers probably won't be buying all of the smallest assets. They'll be buying the biggest ones, right? And so if somebody can enter into the game with $20, start to earn from that. And if they make the decision that they want to reinvest back into themselves and maybe upgrade or purchase a bigger ship or, you know, purchase land somewhere and then create a mining operation, those opportunities should continue to exist. So the, there is, um, um, more exclusivity to the larger assets, right? The more expensive assets. Um, how, but the but the least expensive assets are almost in infinite supply. So the twenty dollars ships, those are never going to sell out. Um, it doesn't matter how much capital flows into the metaverse or flows into us; those will never sell out. So people will at least have an entry point. That's our objective. Um, that's our mission. So a lot of that is going to take some time you know, to ensure that we have the balance there. And, and fortunately, we have the decentralized governance structure. So we'll be able to take feedback from people all over the world with economic interest in the metaverse and, um, and incorporate that into our decision making. Mm -hmm. well, that was really fascinating. Um, 35 to 40 different career paths. Uh, I just my mind is blown with how much you still have to build. So I, my next question is, how big is your team now? And, and how do you expect that to evolve over the next uh, five to 10 years? It's. I love the question. I mean, it's. It's actually one of the. Uh, I would say great accomplishments that we've uh, had this year. So, you know, we had the the four co-founding members back in December. Uh, we currently have a team of about 140 people, um, and we've scaled to that over the course of um, you know just about uh, 10 months. Um, oh. And uh, we we just recently onboarded a new chief of HR, um, tasked with things like you know global compliance, but also um, talent acquisition. Right. And we also just hired somebody as a, as a core recruiter on our team. Um, our mission is to scale this team by another 300 or 400% uh, by the same time next year. So uh, I, would, I would fully anticipate seeing uh, our internal team being around 400. Um, it may grow to six, 600, 700. But we also have the, the added benefit of a global population that is maybe indirectly performing functions, development, uh, innovation, uh, and building on top of what we've created thus far as well. So, you know, as much as uh, we talk about the internal team, you have to think about everybody else who wants to build around this. And those are indirectly, I won't say employees, but contributors to, to, mm -hmm. the, to the vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the problems of Web3. Right. Um, and, and, and this might be related to the previous answer, but what is your biggest challenge right now? It's a difficult one to answer, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, um, I, we've been performing exceedingly well. I, I mean, we've kind of exceeded all of our own expectations and all of external expectations, and uh, we're developing at a rapid pace. Uh, I, I guess if I had to, if I had to answer that, I would say you know there's a lot of demand in the community. Um, obviously, everybody wants to see this product now. Right. Everybody wants it. Uh, they want it out yesterday, actually. Mm -hmm. So trying to manage some of those expectations is perhaps our, our biggest challenge. Um, there maybe as an extension on that, the um, the recruiting efforts, identifying the talented people that can uh, help us deliver this product there. It, it's just not there's not a lot of people out there in the world that can do it. Um, and there is actually a pretty high demand right now. Uh, for game developers as well, people that are in engineering and game design and development. Um, so we're competing with the likes of Microsoft to secure that talent. Um, and then also, you know, we're building on Solana, which is uh, they they use uh, um, they use Rust, uh, which is kind of like a C plus plus language. And so um, there's not a lot of those types of developers out there either. So on our blockchain engineering team, securing the um, the 
the engineers that are capable of building in Rust is, has been a bit of a challenge as well. But nevertheless, I think things are, are still progressing quite nicely. That's great to hear. And uh, if anyone listening can find themselves in, in that description, then uh, be sure to check out uh, Star Atlas because uh, I think, um, yeah, what you guys are building is really great and uh, has a lot of potential. Thank you for the plug. I just wanted to mention, if you if you are interested, uh, jobs.staratlas.com. Please shoot over a resume. We'd, we'd love to take a look, and we'll be in touch. Cool. There we go. All right. So uh, now we, we we're coming to the end of, uh, of of my questions, and I I try to end with, with two ones, uh, two fixed ones for every person that I interview. Um, first one: What is the the biggest lesson you can give other potential blockchain games founders about, you know, founding a company, a games company in in this industry? Wow. Um, I would say, you know, make sure you, you kind of have your strategy in place before you uh, bring a concept to market. Uh, honestly, we, we spent, you know, six months in pre-production planning and, and you know, it's, it's difficult because you want to make sure that you can get the idea out there um, in the ether as soon as possible. Uh, but, you know, it certainly helps to be able to spend as much time as possible strategizing and formulating your economy and balancing out tokenomics and thinking about gameplay mechanics before you really try to execute and bring the bring the vision to the market. Uh, one more question on that: um, Did you do all of that internally, or did you like talk to external partners about, for example, tokenomics that that help you with that? We have worked with a number of third parties. So we work with Republic Crypto. Um, and Republic Realm uh, for economic analysis um, and advisory. Um, they've been great partners for us. They, they really helped us uh, in the formation and uh, distribution of our uh, game economics white paper. I should mention staratlas.com. We have a really immersive website. Um, it's a great experience. I would encourage everyone to go take a look. But we have um, both our, our um, white paper, our original white paper on there, as well as our new game economy and tokenomic white paper as well. So a ton of information in those documents. Um, but then we also worked with groups, you know, going back to the Rebirth campaign, like Shape Immersive, uh, the artists, a number of uh, um, uh, talent agencies. And then um, on our cinematic trailer, which, uh, well, we released a cinematic teaser trailer and then full cinematic trailer um, uh, for, you know, between September and then, then just a couple of weeks ago on the full trailer. And we worked with Hydra Studios on that. Uh, and we're currently working with some third parties on the Unreal Engine game development. So we're, we're kind of sourcing where we can, and, and that allows us and enables us to scale as quickly as possible and also deliver best-in-class products. All right. And then my final question, that is, could you share with the listeners a bold prediction about blockchain games? I would revert back to kind of my comment on on uh, the the potential for the digital labor, labor market. Um, maybe to extend on that a little bit, I would say you know, I really do think that the metaverse, um, whether this is blockchain game or more metaverse centric, but I, I believe that the metaverse is the future of the web. I think it will disrupt social media. There's a reason why Facebook is undertaking a, a you know rebranding um, and becoming uh, uh, metaverse centric. Um, I think it will disrupt e-commerce. I, I don't think that, you know, in the future people will want to shop on Amazon when they have the potential to enter into a, an immersive world and interact with their object, whether it be an AR or VR, and purchase that item directly through the metaverse um, and have it delivered to them physically. But, um, you know, also things like governance, you know, and, and economics. And, and again, going back to uh, the potential for the metaverse to become the largest labor market the world has ever seen, uh, which is equally distributed and highly competitive, which is great for employees. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, maybe going down the rabbit hole a little bit, I think there's enormous amount of negative sentiment and, uh, and job dissatisfaction in the world today. You know, people feeling undercompensated, um, in the face of um, in the face of high inflation as well, you know, so people that are spending the majority of their income just to survive uh, without the potential to actually save and improve their quality of life. So I think this is going to dramatically improve um, physical reality, global economics as well. As a result, we get to use the metaverse as a bit of a proving ground for new models. Fascinating. I really like that. I also I, I believe too that if if one thing, the metaverse can provide like a best next alternative 
income-wise. So people will won't have to take on the, the absolute shitty jobs because there's no, no alternative, basically. Agreed. And, uh, you know, there's also a major trend in, you know, job disruption and displacement as a result of AI, uh, automation of jobs. So those people are going to need to work somewhere. <laughs> we invite you all to the, to the Star Atlas metaverse. There you go. Star Atlas. Fantastic. All right, Michael, thank you so much. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, um, I loved your answers. This was really great. I'm super excited to see what you build. Um, I guess like in the next month, you already bring bring out something that we can try. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the uh, we have target uh, launch date. So we're, we're looking at mid-November right now is the release of that score uh, module, which is the first application where people will be able to uh, send out their ships on behalf of uh, their faction and start earning Atlas. That's really cool. All right. Super. So um, yeah, listener, try that out. Michael, thank you so much for being on, on the Metacast. Really enjoyed it, Nico. Thank you so much. All right, listener. Um, yeah, this was the first episode of the uh, Metacost Crypto Corner. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.